Hello and welcome to Living Wow Feminist. Living Wow Feminist is a weekly podcast talking with feminists about the ups and downs, ins and outs, and the emotional rollercoaster ride of living a feminist life. I'm your host, feminist writer, researcher, and author, Jen Thorpe. Hello podcast listeners, just a note to say that Living Well Feminist is available in all good bookstores, so please make sure to go and get your copy. The other thing is that the sound today had a few glitches, but it's totally worth listening to, so I hope you enjoy. Today on the podcast, I'm talking with Helene Prinsloer. Helene works in publishing, promoting fiction and non-fiction for NB publishers. She's a professional bookworm. And she's been active in the book industry for eight years, helping writers tell and promote their stories. She's originally from Queenstown in the Eastern Cape, but now she lives in Seapoint. And when not busying herself with books, she plays five-a-side football with the Badgers Football Club, something she talks about in her piece in Living While Feminist, which is titled Being Fit While Being Fat. It was her first piece of writing to be published in a book, but exciting news. She's working on finishing her debut novel, so hopefully we'll talk about that more. Before Corona struck, Helene was learning Cossa, making pesto, playing nerdy board games, and finding new playlists on Spotify. Full disclaimer, Helene is the fantastic publicist as well for, for both Living While Feminist and Feminism Is, and we are also very grateful for, for her work. Um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Helene. Thanks, Jen. It's great to be on this side of a book. It's almost a bit weird, but I'm sure I'll be fine in your hands. Your piece for Living While Feminist says, my inner battle between being fit and being fat has been carrying on for the longest time. It begins, it took me almost 20 years to admit that I like sports and sweating. Even as a young child, I was conditioned to believe that those are arenas reserved for smaller bodies. I still believe that. I've just chosen to ignore it, thanks to feminism and a little help from my friends. So can you tell me a little bit about your feminist journey and how it has been linked with your fitness journey? That's an interesting way of phrasing what I feel like is two different questions, because my feminist journey started first and almost not at the end or like most recently, my fitness one fell into that. So my feminist journey started um, very early on. My parents are both very anti-establishment despite being Afrikaans. And I grew up in a in a very homogenous community where Afrikaans people to one side, Af- Afrikaans white people, English white people, the colored community, the Tosa community. And um, my parents just sort of, they're a bit hermit-like and they raised us in a way to respect others, to to see others, to yeah, to appreciate others. And then um, as I grew up, my mom also started getting active in, in the community and achieved goals like being the first female president of a Buddha Vereniging, which is the um, farmers community organized agricultural body. Um, and Things like that just silently shaped me into being a feminist without ever having words to to call myself that. 
And um, as I went to university and got exposed more to ideas about feminism, I, I, yeah, I sort of one day just woke up and realized, oh, me, I'm a feminist. When people speak about feminists, that's me. And it's interesting because I recently called my dad a feminist to his face and he was highly offended. And then when I explained to him what feminism means, he was like, oh, I am a feminist. Um, which was really like it's a sweet little circle where like I, I, I ascribe my feminism to him largely and um, he didn't even know that he was feminist. But then my piece in the collection, um, how, how my fitness came to fit into my feminism is I actually I was a bit lonely and down in the dumps and um, as anyone who is plus sized will will be able to tell you, I was on my next search for the best way to lose weight. And I decided maybe I need some kind of community sport. And um, I stumbled across across the Badgers football community and um, I found them on Bumble, <laughs> which is a dating app. And um, I swiped right and I was invited to a practice, which was the next day. And for me, it was love at first sight because there I found different abled people, different um, differently fit people, like people of all stages, just just getting together for the sake of fitness and there was no goals besides the one we kicked into the goalposts um to be achieved or anything and slowly but surely I I got so immersed in this that I'm now a sports addict like it's now fully part of my lifestyle and it's all because of the community that came first uh, before I'd never found um any kind of community that that allowed me as a fat person uh, to feel comfortable and confident and strong and able, and also to feel like I belonged, um, because as I mentioned in my in my piece, sports all sports arenas are for bodies that are already small, and um, so it's it's not I'm not there yet where I'm like I think plus size people are welcome in all, all sports. We're not there as a world or as a society. But um, thanks to people like my football club, um, we are making making great strides. You mentioned a term there that I wanted to talk about, which is this idea of plus size. And I was thinking about it again when reading your piece, how the sizes that are on clothing are made up. They're not real. They don't refer to anything real. So you can have a size 35 or 36 here in South Africa, which is not the same as a size 35 or 36 somewhere else. So what do you think as a society, like obviously there's use in having a size in a clothing because then you know you may fit into that size. But it's really, I don't think we talk enough about this idea of plus size as if there were sizes that were real. I don't know if you have anything to say about that. It just it struck me when I was writing about it the other day. <laughs> I, I have too much to say about that. Um, it's such a bizarre concept because also it immediately others bodies like mine into a category that's that's extra, into a category that has to be catered for um, as opposed to just existing. And um, yes, there are practical implications of plus size clothing. It takes extra material. It needs better, or not better, it needs different design sometimes, like um 
I also mentioned in my piece, like a fat body needs something different from from a pair of tights for running than a skinny body does. And and when I say fat, people immediately respond and say, you're not fat, you're beautiful, which is a whole other conversation because I'm not calling myself ugly. I'm just stating a fact that my twin size 24 body needs something different than someone who is a size 16. And um, some shops have have tried to destigmatize it. Like Donna used to be only for plus sized bodies, but they've um, they've branched out. They've got smaller sizes now, and they're really looking at the South African body, I want to call it, and how to make clothes for the South African body. And you can buy items of clothing there that's a size L or, it, or like they don't have small, medium, and large. But they have instead of just going straight for the 5XL, they start they start bigger with the with the lettering, and um, other brands like Cotton On just refer to it as curve, not plus size. Um, but it's it's also a deeply personal thing. Like I personally now, as a 30 year old woman, I don't mind being called plus sized or I don't mind. I can call myself fat. It's still difficult when when negotiating someone else calling me fat because at the end of the day we're just describing my body, right? But um, sporting clothes and all of all of all of the clothing available to women actually, um, and also it's like I, I've been searching for nice lingerie um for my body and there is none i can find at donna um ladies has some quite old old lady type um sets that i can look into but it it's just not something that exists because fat people don't have sex and fat people don't want to look sexy we are told to hide our bodies and we are told to shape our bodies into a more acceptable form and that's reflected in clothing like a store like woolworths is a great median store because um, a store like Woolworth stops its sizing at a, at a size 24 or 44, but they advertise themselves as being for all bodies. But anyway, um, I can go on for days. In short, it's bullshit. Clothing sizes is bullshit. But it's also linked to this idea and this policing of women's bodies. And I think even the title of plus size, however you feel about it, was almost in reference to this idea that certain women's bodies were too much or extra or like that there was the sense of, you know, you should be a, enough woman, but not too much woman, but also not too little woman, right? Like there's a lot of discrimination against people with anorexia and people who are very tiny. I have a friend who shops in the children's section. Like there is a strange attachment to this idea that there is some certain type of woman who should fit in a certain type of clothes and one of the things you speak about in your piece is the industry around athletic wear and how it made it more difficult for you to participate in sports so in your piece you say when I think of sportswear images of fit bodies spring to mind I imagine willowy women and herculean men who barely break a sweat I imagine speed agility and pride I imagine anything but a body like mine When doing a Google search, it turns out that my imaginings are supported. You'll be hard-pressed to find a South African sports retailer or international fitness brand who stocks clothing bigger than a size 18 or XL in alpha sizing. 
And this is also something that um, Roxanne Gay's book Hunger touched on, which has a whole uh, chapter on clothing and fat phobia. And she was interviewed by Vogue about the book, and she said, I think that the industry can do better. In fact, I know they can. It's not rocket science. The part I don't understand is, in a capitalist society, how has one of these hot-shit designers not seen the financial opportunity that is available here? It's infuriating. We all deserve to look cute and feel attractive. What's so wonderful about fashion is that a good outfit makes you feel bold and sexy and beautiful, but we have to work so hard to find outfits that allow us to do that. Even the quality of the clothing for plus sizes isn't great. It's made poorly. I find in general that fat people go through a lot more clothing in an average year than other people because the pieces are not made as well. So both what you and Roxanne Gay are saying is that even though the sportswear brands are saying being active and fit is the best way to live, they're limiting the ability of people outside of a particular body norm to do that. Basically, the idea that these brands are peddling is that only certain types of bodies should even try in the first place, which is obviously hugely stupid from a capitalist point of view and hugely offensive from a feminist mm. perspective. Um, and I went back to one of the first feminist books that I ever bought, which was a secondhand copy of Susie Orbach's Fat is a Feminist Issue. And she says, we are taught that we must b both blend in and stand out. What a contradictory message indeed. So can you tell me a bit about your engagement with one of the brands that you mentioned in your piece and what it made you realize about how fundamentally flawed this whole system was? Yeah, um, I would love to name the brand, but I don't believe in shaming. Um, and since since publishing this piece, uh, more that specific brand and other brands have come out with clothing in better sizes. Um, it's still not ideal. Um, these extra sizes come with extra high price tags and they also are not available in stores. Um, you have to order it online, which means you can't fit it or the, the process is more complicated, but that's not the question. Um, my engagement with the brand was with someone who is in, in management at this um, international corporation and we were having a conversation about sport and about my weight specifically she'd asked me um what my personal journey is and when I expressed frustration at being clothed basically maybe that conversation was a spark for this piece um when she with her reaction sorry her reaction to my frustration at not being able to find clothes in their specific brand for my body was one of almost anger and irritation and said, but we're aspirational. We're an aspirational brand. And, and that just befuddles me. Like I can't understand how you want me to aspire to be your brand, but you're not willing to support the journey. And if, if we are saying that feminism is for everybody and for every body, it should include plus size bodies and it should include causes like this because living in the world as a bigger bodied person, it changes everything. Like it's sometimes hard to talk to someone who's not plus size, but like I will go to the doctor for an ankle injury. This really happened. I went to the doctor for an ankle injury from playing soccer. Someone had kicked me. So it wasn't a muscular injury. Someone had kicked me on the ankle. And I came out with a recommendation for a dietitian, a reminder to, to not take in sugar and also 
like just try a bit harder with the fitness. Now, I went there for an ankle injury, people, and I did not come out with any. I can't tell you if I got any advice for that injury. And that's just how us us fat people have to deal with the world. And um, so when that person told me we're an aspirational brand, I was like, but I am aspiring. Like everything in me, it's all I think about all day is being being smaller, fitting in, being healthier. Um, because how will I have kids if I'm not smaller? How will I X, Y, Z? Um, aspiration is the name of my game. But still, I don't know. I don't know if I'm making sense, but it, it's just it it makes me so angry. And she, um, actually, after the conversation and um, after I'd written this piece, she got in contact again and she said that she discussed our, she discussed the the whole engagement with her partner and she'd come to realize that she in that conversation was fat shaming me and everybody and that she'd always thought of herself as someone who is in touch with with what bodies are and and differently abled people and she's really sorry for having hurt my feelings and these are the books that she's gone to read and that includes um the two books that you've mentioned now and um, which was really amazing if only everyone could react that way to to a sensitive conversation yeah i mean it's interesting that they chose to use the word aspirational when in fact they know that they're publishing images in in general of a very elite group of bodies that most people cannot live up to and um, but in terms of what you were speaking about now with the doctor as well i had a really productive conversation with someone the other day who said we should just really abandon ourselves abandon the idea that the medical profession is neutral every doctor comes into a doctor's room with their own bullshit for want of a better word and their social norms and their gender norms and their norms about sexuality or particular body types and those affect the way that they treat people and there's been you know scientific studies that show that but your piece also made me think about the gap in general between these these artificial societally created beauty norms and fitness norms and the reality for most ordinary human beings um and as i've been looking through pictures in the media and stuff lately I f- it felt kind of like they, the obsession with fitness and achieving this fit aesthetic is replacing what when i was in my teenage years was an obsession with a really wafy dangerously thin aesthetic and so in your piece you mentioned the idea of strong as the new pretty but in a book that was written almost 20 years ago um Naomi Wolf's The Beauty Myth she says on page 187 that we mustn't forget that female fat is the subject of public passion and women feel guilty about female fat because we implicitly recognize that under the beauty myth women's bodies are not our own but society's a cultural fixation on female thinness is not an obsession about female beauty but an obsession about female obedience dieting is the most potent political sed- sedative in women's history a quietly mad population is a tractable one so if now the new norm is being strong and you can't for whatever reason be that ideal because either you're not physically able to or because the clothing to help you get to that position of feeling physically strong isn't available the problem again goes back to you when in fact the problem is a systemic failure of institutions to take into account that there are different bodies so I, po- I know that there's a difference between strong and thin ideals and I haven't fully worked out how to articulate this properly 
But in the past, where this thin weight, the ideal meant being so hungry that you didn't have the energy to be active, now we're seeing women encouraged to be active, but only if it's really nice for society to perceive particular types of women exercising. And um, Helen Lewis, who's written a book called Difficult Women, said, you know, we really like to see women, particular types of women looking great, but we actually don't want to see the work in the background. And at the start of your piece, I think you show how powerful this type of shaming of different types of bodies is when you're describing the joy that you had from swimming and how much and I'm a swimmer and I related so much to that joy of being in the swimming pool but that other people's opinions about whether your body was good enough to participate in the support were so damaging that it held you back for a long time so now you have just sort of said fuck it you're going to do it anyway so tell me a bit about soccer and what it has meant for you and the type of community that you've been able to access through playing soccer I would I would go as far as to say, for me, it's meant life. Like, it's given me a whole new lease on life, and it's given me a whole new way of looking at things. And I find myself just in general more joyful and more comfortable with who I am. A friend made a comment and said, it seems like you've arrived in your body. And I just want to prefer, like just add that I haven't lost any weight since playing soccer, um, and what's fun is it's it's no longer the goal. It's about seeing what my body can achieve. And what whilst it's whilst being a very supportive community, it's not a perfect community. There have been instances, especially at league, um, where we we play with teams that are very different to our team, where I can hear pe- people think people are stupid and deaf. But I can hear people when I'm playing a match, I can hear comments and I can hear um, people sniggering and uh, the barmen at our club, they call me their favorite player and they always deepen their voice when they do that because, you know, I'm big and I know everything they're saying and I've heard hurtful comments um, being made by these people. Uh, but it no long it no longer affects me as badly as it did when I was eight years old and trying to to compete in a swimming gala because I enjoy swimming and someone shouted jump fat so jump like it no longer um, debilitates me. But and something else that I've learned from soccer is that my body, regardless of its size, my body can do stuff that's incredible. Like when I get going. I can not only run fast, but I can power shot a ball into a goal like you wouldn't believe. Like I saw on on some days, um, also I should say that I play five-a-side football, which is on a court that's about a quarter, no, not a quarter, like a third of a proper football field. Um, So it's more, it's like action cricket is to cricket, it's to to football. Um, So it's shorter distances that we're running, which helps for me because um, by the time that I'm tired and by the time that my legs say, hey, babes, <laughs> we're too heavy. For, you are too heavy for us to carry. I can stop running. And um, but also I, some games I shoot so many goals and such great goals. And then what that does is it makes me go to work the next day thinking like I can do stuff. I'm capable. I'm able. I'm good. I'm powerful. I'm strong. And that. The more I play and the more I 
I indulge in that feeling, obviously in a healthy way, the better I've become at doing my job, the better I've become at being a friend, at at falling in love, at, at just doing normal life stuff, all because soccer or sport then gives me that sense of achievement. And even in the even in the bad times, like when, like now during lockdown, we've been having fitness training with all the regulations and protocols observed. And there I feel like we have to do things like jumping jacks and, and sit-ups and like a sit-up for a fat person is different because there's a whole stomach in my way. And when I'm jumping, my flabs go clap, clap, clap. Like it's, it's things that, seem offensive to other people to be talking about but it's just practical for me like I don't want my my flab to flap um so I don't want to be doing jumping uh, or star jumps or whatever you call them and I realized that I'm also I'm talking about fat bodies as if it's the only body that has any concerns because I that's my experience I don't know the other side I acknowledge that exists I have friends who are chronically accosted in public with people saying, oh, you should eat more, you should do this. Friends who are struggling and battling and working with a a medical team to gain weight um, or other medical conditions. But I can only speak for my own um, and my own experience. And within that... When something negative happens, like when we were at Cape Town Tens, that uh, we were walking and a bunch of a bunch of our team, bunch of players from our team, walked past the netball courts where a lot of bigger women were playing, and they were ridiculing that. But I was in I was in the group and I was there and I was thinking, do you not see me? And and I know that had I engaged in a conversation with them about that and said what you're saying hurts me and is wrong, they would have said, oh, but we don't see you as fat. You're one of us, which is a problem in itself. It's the same as the conversation about I don't see your color. I want you to see my size. I want you to acknowledge that my body is is different to an extent. Don't treat me differently in that like you're not inviting me to a hike you're not inviting me to do xyz but just acknowledge that when we do go on a hike I do carry 40 extra kilograms on my body so let's just adapt the plans to to make it possible for me or or invite me on a lighter hike I don't know if that's making sense or answering the question no, I think um, when you're with someone pretending that their difference doesn't exist is, you know, it doesn't make it go away. It just makes them feel unable to talk about it and often is a silencing to pretend that things don't exist. And yeah. so, yeah, I think that makes complete sense. But what you were saying earlier about how much joy soccer has given you just like made my heart feel so full. And it reminded me of a quote that I know from an Australian feminist, um, G.D. Anderson, he said, feminism isn't about making women stronger. Women are already strong. It's about changing the way that the world perceives that strength. So do you think that it's still the case that women are encouraged to focus so much on how a body looks that it takes the energy and enthusiasm away from the actual doing of the sport or the work or whatever? Or do you have a sense that things are changing? I think it's the same. I think we we we've sort of the amount of 
plus-sized influencers and campaigns and seeing bigger bodies in movies where the plot is not their fat and this is their life. Um, as that's changing, we're being lulled into a, a sense of like, okay, we've arrived. But it's it's not true. A, a, a fat or a bigger body is is not considered beautiful, period. Um, there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of of work, especially with children. I find children horrifically scary <laughs> and and tend to avoid them because they will easily just like say things about a body. And then you can hear that that's how they are taught at home to think about a body because their father is possibly telling their mother, oh, you've gained weight or things like that. And that's a negative thing and a bad thing. And yes, um, one of the things that plus-sized influencers, and I in, in that I include like actors, whatever you want, um, writers, etc., um, a complaint that they often get is, oh, but you're trying to normalize unhealthy lifestyles. Now that that means we have to look at what is healthy, right? I eat for lunch today. I had a salad wrap. Um, I like in terms of diet, I ticked all the health boxes. I I exercise three to four times a week. I have medication for my chronic diseases. I also am working with a, t a medical team towards better health. I am a healthy person, as healthy as I can possibly be. But I'm fat, so I'm perceived as unhealthy. And, and therefore, I can't celebrate my bigness. And so I can't also celebrate my beauty where I am right now because then I'm celebrating unhealthy lifestyles. Like it's this weird little loopy conversation that keeps going where you're like, okay, yes, you are beautiful and you're amazing, but you need to be skinnier and, and, and for, for me to call you beautiful and you need to be this for me to. And again, it always comes back to that thing of, of when I try and discuss my body with friends or loved ones or whatever um, and I refer to myself as big or fat or, or try and share what is my current state of mind about it I get complimented and I get told oh but you're so beautiful you have the most beautiful lips and I love your eyes and you dress so well and you're you do always dress flattering do you know how hard it is to dress flattering according to the world's standard? I want to. I wish the word the word was different because flattering should mean I look good for myself and I feel good in myself. But we're not allowed that. I should I should wear spanks and uh, a waist slimming vest and a hip enhancing pair of jeans, possibly heels to elongate me. I never not I never don't wear lipstick or makeup even in lockdown as I'm sitting here no one can see me I'm wearing makeup because that also adds a sense of beauty everything to hide the fact that I am a size 24 and ugly for being a size 24 but I think like this whole narrative of what is healthy is especially when it comes to policing women's bodies trans people's bodies is the idea that mental health isn't part of your health. Like we leave that out of the narrative. So there may be bodies that on the outside look like they fit into some ideal that we're all comfortable with in society, but there is an unacknowledged emotional labor, right? Like whatever size your body is, if you are unhappy with how you look, there is a project that goes on there that takes up a lot of psychological toll. And, and what you're describing now 
is the that society doesn't allow you to be unconditional in the way that you love your body, which, I mean, I think many of us raised as women experience that, that there must be a condition to to how much we love. And I think um, Desiree Ann Martin and her piece in the collection said something like, we raised to believe as women that we can love other people well, but on our own, by ourselves, without making any effort, we are not lovable which is part of patriarchy, which is why I think it's so important to include your piece in the collection to stop pretending that there isn't something systemic going on here with making a huge part of the population feel unhappy in their bodies. And I wonder what you think about capitalism's failings like you and Roxanne Gay have mentioned around clothing and other mechanisms for making all people feel comfortable in their body. Because I don't know whether you have anything to say about the failures of the capitalist heteropatriarchal industrial complex. <laughs> <laughs> that is a big word. Um, and it's difficult to to also answer in big words, but I totally agree. I can't wait for in a year's time, possibly less, possibly way more, when we have all the professional PhD studies on um, on the psychological effects of the pandemic, firstly, and secondly, of the fashion effects of the pandemic, because it's exactly as you say, if 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 our focus has shifted to being comfortable, and that's what I was getting at about flattering, how flattering should, shouldn't matter to the outside world, it should be an in, inward thing. If, if that means that we've completely changed what we buy, where we buy, how much we buy, then there's something intrinsically wrong with the system. Now, how do we address the system? Do we address it by writing essays for collections? I don't know, but it does help and it's a cathartic experience. When you locate the problem as yourself, it, it, does, it hides all of this stuff. There's something else that I suppose, you know, maybe left-leaning and more socialist feminists might agree with is that we as a society have become very used to fast fashion to having clothes mm-hmm. that only last a particular season and so we want to buy new clothes all of the time and that is actually part of the way that the patriarchal system continues to oppress the mostly women who make this fast fashion in factories you know where they are paid very little if anything and um, and so there is a system where we need to relook really at the whole fashion industry as a whole, which I don't think, I know there's some people who've been working on this for a long time, but I think it links very well to your piece because so much of the sports gear doesn't last. I mean, what Roxanne's gay, say, gay is saying is that clothing for bigger bodies is not even made well, like it's almost made with disdain by the industry, that maybe there is a need to relook really at the whole fashion industry as a whole post-COVID to see mm. how it can be more inclusive and equitable. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Like, um, for example, a, a body like mine, I need stronger material, but I need the tights to come up higher. And I need, I need, I don't know, I, there's a lot of things that, that bigger bodies need that aren't catered to even in clothes for bigger bodies, which which means... For example, this morning, the pair of tights that I wore that I wanted to go for a walk in, I noticed had a big tear in the side um, since me last wearing them. They were perfectly fine. I washed them and now they're not. And now I can't wear them. And they were a pair of tights that cost me 790 rand. 
plus delivery. So now I get to either throw them away or pay to have it have it fixed. But we all know you can't really fix once something like that tears. There's no fixing it. Yeah, it's a systemic thing, and I don't pretend to have all the answers. Um, I just I think it's something that we just need to start thinking about more and talking about more, and and perhaps inviting people who can make changes and who can think about this. Like I was really I was really hoping naively that in writing this piece that perhaps maybe it would be picked up as an um, in a news article or someone would would think about it and it would get the attention of of maybe even that brand that I reference in the article. But it hasn't happened and it's made me think about, okay, but how can I get people to notice? How can I put more focus on this? It's really disappointing that they haven't picked up on it. But I mean, a lot of the time, and we see so many weird adverts and stuff in South Africa where you think, was there not someone in the room who put up their hand and said, this is weird. And again, it's one of those times where like, if we don't increase the diversity of bodies and people who are working on brands and things, we won't actually ever get a situation where all types of people are catered for. Mm. Um, Look, yeah. I'm sorry. It's, yeah. it's, it's difficult in, in, in the South African context to say, oh, I want more focus on plus-sized active wear or plus-sized clothing for bigger bodies or, or just in general, like – um, the health, the mental health issues related to being a bigger body in a country where we have so many other more important issues. Because I do hear myself, and I'm like, oh, dude, people are dying. You know, like there's there's an actual pandemic going. There's there's real poverty. There's real change needed in corporate corporate environments. X Y Z. Um, so it's it's hard even for me. I feel so strongly about this, but I, I it, in in a country as rife with problems, is it is it an important problem? And yes, it's important enough to me. And I think at the end of the day, with any issue and any type of activism, if it's important enough for something to keep you up at night, it's important enough to try and do something about it. So what are you going to do about it? What I have done about it is I have actually sent the essay to to various brands. I've been engaging with um, two influencers on Instagram, asking them what it is, what do they think about this and how do they feel about it. And with one specific influencer, I've had really um, almost emotional, emotionally bonding conversations, which wasn't the aim of it. Um, like sharing war stories almost. Um, and then I've also been working on, on a side project where this is sort of addressed within the company that I work for. I mean, not directly, but um, I'm working with someone at Media24 on creating a platform where mental health issues can be addressed. Because it's, as you said, this is a mental health issue also. It's, it's, it's a health issue, point. And um, so we're working on a project called Joy. And it's starting as simple as us just sharing blogs, um, links, ideas, articles with a group within Media24 that, that 
look at mental health issues, various mental health issues and awareness about it. Um, and I hope to eventually to be able to work things in like like sport, like what kind of person is suited to being in a, in a sports environment. Um, and then finally, what I'm also, what am I doing about it is I've been talking to a sports foundation um, based here in Cape Town. <laughs> They're a very big and active sports organization um, who were really keen to have these conversations and then their entire livelihood got halted because sports can't be played for now. It's a weird time to be caring about stuff right now because the world is on pause. But I am I'm working towards something. Every piece of activism is like a footstep in, in a larger march. So I don't mm. think that you must be disparaging of small efforts either. Like that's how it all changes is everybody deciding that this is a line in the sand that they're going to draw. And I think it's a really important one. I also think that whilst you're right to talk about like this huge socioeconomic and health issues happening in our country, there's massive poverty and inequality, that there's differently sized bodies in all social demographic groups. And if we can't make clothes that make people feel comfortable and confident, that does affect people's ability to go to a job interview, feeling comfortable mm. in their body. And, and, and I think it is something that is relevant regardless of your sort of class status. Don't be too hard on yourself about that because it's something that will make a difference for everybody. Yeah, enough about fitness. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about books. You are Yay. a publicist for one of the largest publishers in the country. What do books and reading mean in your life? When I say I'm a professional bookworm, I mean it. Like, what do I do for fun? I read. What do I do for work? I read. So it means a lot. Um, and it's it's something that I've had around me since a very small age. Like I'm one of those kids who my parents had to hide the torches because I would read into the early morning hours under the covers hiding with a torch. And so it's it's incredible to be able to actually dedicate my life to to helping stories be created, but also helping stories be heard because I'm not it's a it's an easy assumption everyone always makes so you you like books hey you you must be a great writer and um I like stories man and I I can tell a mean story but I really prefer just helping great storytellers be heard and that's essentially what being a publicist is is helping people tell their stories did it feel different to you to try and promote Living While Feminist now that you are a contributor for the collection? It was so weird. It is weird. It's a continuing weirdness because the writer in me and the personal life, I always I jokingly refer to my um, work life or professional life as Helen. And Helen Nye is my altered ego. And Helen Nye was really looking forward to being on an open book panel. Man, I was just... I don't know. I, I sort of saw myself advocating for something and contributing to to the society at large in a way that you can't, as a publicist, despite just having said that I actually like the behind the scenes thing. And then Helen, the publicist, had to work on this title. And when someone asks for an excerpt, when someone asks for a contributor to interview, I could never just say me. 
me because um, I it's I I want to be <laughs> humble and in the background and w- with a recent v- webinar on the book I was watching it and I felt so conflicted because with every question I was like I have an answer for that but it's my job to to let other people shine and I'm happy for it it just but where people we can Walt Whitman said we we contain multitudes and just one of those tiny multitudes was very excited about the opportunity to to say stuff, do stuff, mean stuff. Um, but it's really amazing because there's, what, like 40? Why can't I remember how many other con- contributors there are? Um, contributors <laughs> in this book. <laughs> and um, I get to promote them. And that's a, a massive honor and privilege. Like I keep forgetting what it is like how much of a gold mine this book is and that I get to call it my job and that I get to say that I'm a part of it so mm-hmm. it's actually been the luckiest journey of my career so far oh man that makes me feel all warm and fuzzy <laughs> <laughs> um I'm interested I mean I think I have we all have the same grief I think as contributors or publicists or writers or editors or whatever role you play in the book industry about the impact that COVID has had on publishing and promoting books and local voices and but I think it has been an amazing opportunity to do things online and to engage different audiences and to make those videos that will now be there forever for people to go and watch and engage with. So maybe there's just some more room for us to do some more of those ourselves and to host things ourselves and put the videos online and, you know, stop worrying too much about the fancy bookstores because ultimately the benefit of this collection for me is having a resource for people to hear these discussions and engage in the conversation. Yes, and it's um, a big thing that COVID, a gift that this time has given us, is it's decentralized and almost actually decolonized, mm-hmm. in a sense, um, book book activities. Like it used to just be, you have to live in Cape Town or Johannesburg, maybe if you're lucky in Durban, to be able to participate in anything remotely related to writers, books and such. Now... It's been incredible. I can I can send my dad who lives in the Khatkant of the Eastern Cape. I can send him a link to his favorite author launching what is soon to be his favorite book and we can watch it together with me in Cape Town and him in Queenstown. Like and 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 everything in every place in between. Like it's bringing the conversation to actual homes. People are able to engage Someone who would have attended a book launch alone now has their kids sitting or they're cooking dinner while they're listening to it. Their husband hears it. He takes the message further. Someone else like this is an actual story that I heard of someone who was listening to a digital launch and uh, their husband had heard um, about it, asked about it and then ended up ordering him all the books that that were discussed in that conversation as a surprise. Like, isn't that magical? Isn't that wonderful? And and also, you don't need that much data, and everyone likes to pretend that they don't have data, but you actually just need a cell phone, and you can be a part of this this world. Um, and I love that. I hope that stays. And I and I think it was time for the book industry to to revolutionize a bit. 
um, we did get a bit stale and we were stagnating. And also it's interesting, there was an article in the New York Times about how um, it's time to think differently about book discussions because we've sort of just rep been replicating book discussions online now with the same boring intro, the same boring format, like be more creative about it. And we've been trying, we've, um, with some of the titles I, I work on, we've been really trying to just think differently about what it is that we release online. For some books, we're just doing a reading by the author or we're getting an actor to read. For other books like um, your novel, we had different voices reading and really getting the reader to be immersed in the book. Um, and then we've also, last night we launched Anton Huesen, who's an Afrikaans musician, we launched his biography. And there we had him interviewing his biographer, which is just the most fascinating conversation. And him sitting in his music studio um, interviewing the biographer. And you can now see readers are able to see, oh, that's what Marion Keyes' bookshelf looks like. I'm that reader. I was so excited when she did her, I'm that reader. her launch. <laughs> like, I was like, that's what her house looks like. Oh, my goodness. Like, it's just it's a wonderful time for us to actually just bring the book industry into 2020 and say, hello, <laughs> this is how things can work. So for me, I always look what's happening in people's background and it is just interesting to see people's lives. And I think it's been fantastic as well because there's so many people who are sort of, I'm not super into like influencers and stuff, but there's so many people on Instagram who are like genuinely just publishing and or pu like publicizing the books that they enjoy, which is mm -hmm. a really cool sense of accessibility of literature, which, you know, makes me really excited for encouraging a book buying public, encouraging reading, encouraging mm -hmm. hearing of different stories. And um, onto different stories, you mentioned that you are working on your novel um, mm. I love the split between the behind-the-scenes Helen and the very public Helen A, because I, <laughs> I think it's true in my knowledge of you as a person. Um, are we allowed to know what, what your novel's about and what inspires your writing? Um, my novel's actually... Um, my novel deals a lot with the first question you asked me in this podcast, like my feminist journey. Um, there's a dark stolen or like paraphrasing Jane Austen that it's a truth universally acknowledged that an Afrikaans woman must be in want of an eye-level oven and a husband and that's the first line of my book and it and I've been working I mean I've been working with on this for five years and I don't want to have a pity party but it's really hard to try and be a writer when you work so closely with writers like every line I write I'm like that's how this reviewer is going to react and this is what that person will ask me and this is what they will say um so I really try and shut my brain down so the story is essentially about a man that goes missing and someone is looking for him and the person looking for him is is a 25-year-old Afrikaans woman. And it's about her journey and her finding her feet. And no, nothing autobiographical, but also it's it's a lot of autobiographical stuff. And um, I think also what's taking me so long is just coming to terms with my own journey and, and phrasing that. So it's been fun playing with that. But I also, um, during lockdown, I've been working on, on nonfiction. I've sort of 
shifted my my writing and my approach and I'm really excited about what I'm working on but I'm going to be that annoying person and say like for now I can't talk about it preserve it in its jar so that you can continue to marvel at its beauty and <laughs> um, I, I just listened to a podcast earlier today with Sally Rooney who's obviously fantastically famous for her two books and she was saying when she sits down at the computer now it's not like you're just sitting down to write you're sitting down with like Either I write that that Sally Rooney book, whoever people think Sally Rooney is, yes. or I just write what I want to write. And I think that um, it must be very present for you in your writing, what everybody is going to say. Um, and I think, yeah, just fuck them. Write the book that you want to mm. write, and we'll all enjoy yeah. reading it. I love the first line. I think it's credible. I could see it on a T-shirt. It's, like, amazing. <laughs> so I look forward to reading your book. Um, just to end off the podcast, I have three quick questions that I'm asking everybody who comes on, so don't overthink them. Um, do you have a book that has inspired your feminism? The Red Tent by Anita Diamond. It looks at its fiction written by a Jewish historian and it um, it's the story of Dina in the Bible, the lesser known sister of Joseph who had his amazing Technicolor dream coat. And there's one line in the Bible that describes her and gives us an idea of who she is. And it's that she was raped and her two, two of her brothers avenged her death. And Anita Diamond took her life or took, took her circumstances and the historic Jewish context um, around the time she was living and she wrote this incredible book about what it meant to be a woman in that time now I'm not religious but um, the red tent is where Jewish women were sent um, during their menstruation and where they yeah it's the bleeding tent and um, the stories that were told there and the rituals about being a woman during those times is just incredible and I read it sort of at the at the start of my own coming to terms with being a feminist or or learning that I am actually a feminist and it really shaped me to 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 know that hey behind every woman and I say woman with an x um behind every woman there's an entire story that the world has suppressed um but it's a story worth telling and it's a story worth pursuing that sounds very fascinating. I'm going to go and find that. Um, do you have a quote that inspires you? A quote that inspires me? I think Toni Morrison saying freeing yourself was one thing, claiming ownership of that freed self was another. Mm. Very nice. And now that you claim the title and you are a full-blown feminist, do you have any advice for other feminists on their journey? I would say if there's something about the society, specifically your own community, that bothers you, that keeps you up at night, do something about it. Don't let the fear of being shot down or ridiculed like, keep you down. Like Just do something. Stop, stop thinking about that thing and do something about it. Thank you so much, Helene, for taking the time to talk with me today about your piece and about your feminist journey. I think many, many listeners are going to gain a huge amount of value out of this. So I really appreciate the time and thank you for your effort as well in promoting feminist writing in South Africa through your work in, in with feminism is and living while feminist. It gen you genuinely couldn't have 
It couldn't have been such a success without your effort and mostly your emotional support to me on constant WhatsApp <laughs> emotional messages. So thank you very much for that. Thank you, Jane. This is lovely. so much for tuning into this week's episode of living while feminist with me jen thorpe please do tune in next week to hear more from feminists about their lives and experiences take care of yourselves